This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery, and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Unbelievable! Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. Alongside me, as per usual, is Adam Booker. Hello, Adam. Hello, Amos. How are you doing, Adam? I am good. Um, we've been chatting for a while already about the weather, and I know we're going to chat some more about the weather, but I'm sitting in a nice comfy room with a sweatshirt on, don't have any fans on, so I'm having a nice morning. I'm sat in minimal clothes with a fan pointing directly at my face, as as I often am. And I'm actually delighted to say, in that same bracket as me, a fellow Brit, welcome to the show, made an appearance, introducing Charlie, writer for the Daily Express and City supporter as well. How are you doing, Charlie? I'm very well, thanks, Amos. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Happy to be making my debut. Like you, I'm sat in, sat here in a pair of obnoxiously short shorts because um, <laughs> we're, you know, grossly unprepared for the weather that we're having right now. But yeah, no, I'm happy. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's mental to think how long the United Kingdom has been a thing and all of those bad, bad, bad years of, of colonies, etc. to think that they just could not design a country that could could cope with the heat. And, and Adam, it, it's it's bizarre, isn't it? Because we spend more time speaking about the, the weather on this City Report podcast than we, we actually do uh, football itself. But what temperature, enlighten us, what temperatures are you expecting today? And, and I'll compare that to what it's like in, in sunny Stockport in Great Manchester. All right, so let me switch myself over to Celsius. So my high temperature for today is 34 degrees. Now, 36 degrees. Ouch. Your high temperature today is 29. 
<laughs> just built differently then, aren't you, actually? It, it's a depressing state of affairs, but it, it, it's just not a country that is built for the heat. Um, before we get into then, little confession, actually, because this isn't the first time the three of us have recorded a podcast together, is it, Charlie? Because earlier this year, we recorded a pilot episode for a series that we, we thought was going to do really well, only for the eventual <laughs> company to turn it down. And, and this is our first rodeo since. Yeah, our dreams got dashed, but, you know, we're still here. We're still fighting. Um, yeah, the three of us have got history. Me and Adam go back. We, Me and Adam go way back, yeah, way back. Yeah, I know, I know. Um, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, me and Adam used to do uh, a different podcast. Um, and then, you know, we all now work for Flashcore as well. So we've got some, you know, we've got some common things going on. Um, and, yeah, we do. We tend to have a laugh whenever we link up. So, yeah, should be good. Things were actually a little bit different that time, weren't they, Adam? Because you were the, you were the head honcho of proceedings, you were hosting the show, and I don't know about you, but after, what is it, three or four months, probably even a little bit longer of doing this podcast, that'd feel a little bit weird this time around. Yeah, I'm pretty glad that I'm not hosting anymore. I'm not very good on my feet. I'm not, I don't have the, the quick wit like you do, so it, it, it worked out well that I just sit back and spew bad football takes. There's a rare compliment. Yeah. Yeah, it was sort of like just pinning him in the corner, albeit over some sort of video calling, given the fact that we're, we're an Atlantic Ocean away. Um, I'm just saying, no, this is how it's going to be. Um, it's lovely to be joined by another Brit, Charlie. It actually takes, if you go back and look at the tally, it takes it to 3-2 in, the, in England's favour over the USA, which could be the sort of scoreline we see in November in Qatar. And uh, we're just sort of gearing up to the, to the hostilities we may have there. You think it was bad taking over the, the host proceedings, but just wait until England puts seven past the USA in Qatar. Now, now you would see an angry Adam then. Yeah, there's going to be bad blood. I can feel it on this podcast. Bad blood is on the horizon. More hostility. You, you know me, old patriotic Adam is going to be fuming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, skipping over your no doubt pretentious anti-British weather take, Adam. How has your weekend just gone? Because it, it looks as if your other sports team, the Portland Timbers, had quite the successful derby victory over. I'm hesitant to say local rivals because it's about 17 and a half hours beyond uh uh, between each other but yeah Seattle Sounders were done in by the Timbers well it's only two and a half hours away um, so that's as, about as local of a rivalry as it gets in American sports but yeah it was uh, the club's biggest ever win on on enemy turf 3-0 win in Seattle and yeah things are looking good in, in Rose City right now Superb stuff. Um, enough of that then, and we'll, and we'll crack on with what we're here to do and what no doubt everybody else is here to do, and, and that's to discuss Manchester City's departures so far this summer. It's been quite the hectic transfer window, to be honest. There's been a lot of movement, both in and out the door. We've done a lot on the incoming, so we're going to probably skirt over most of that, but we're actually going to we're going to touch base on those who are going out the other way. Now, Charlie, you'll be aware in the UK there's been all sorts of airport chaos so far this summer and, and people not being able to get away on holiday. But it seems as though plenty of City 
City players have managed to find the departure door as the club looks to head into somewhat of a rebuild. There have been a whole host of exits, and Adam, we'll start with you. One that was confirmed just sort of in the last seven days or so, and, and a player who's already scored for his new club in Gabriel Jesus. We expected that to go, but how do you think, looking back on it, he'll 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 go in an, an Arsenal shirt and how his time at City will be remembered? I'll start with his time at City. I think it'll be remembered well. Um, I think he's a little bit of a victim of um, unhealthy expectations, I'll call them, coming in um, and kind of being immediate, immediately labeled as the long time, uh, long-term Sergio Aguero replacement. That is going to be tough for anybody, um, never, never mind a teenager that's never played in Europe, never left Brazil. Um you know, obviously he came in and he kind of hit the ground running. He actually kept Aguero on the bench for, for a pretty lengthy spell. Um, mm. And look, it, it didn't work out the way that we thought. We kind of thought we were getting the future Brazil number nine. Um, it didn't work out that way. But when you look at the underlying numbers, the, the goal to minutes ratio that he had, um, the trophies won and the part that he played in many of those trophies, you know, you only have to look back at the Centurion season to see him scoring one of the most memorable goals in city history to to make to give them the the 100 point tally um so he's gonna he's gonna be remembered fondly i don't think there's any city fan that's gonna have a negative memory of him um, i think if anybody feels like he didn't live up to the expectations i think that's probably because the expectations were a little bit too lofty for him um, and as far as his time going forward at arsenal i think it's going to be a success you know i think He's the kind of player that is very much a rhythm player. If he's in and out of the team, he tends to struggle and, and his form will be inconsistent. Um, but when he gets good stretches and he, and he starts to feel good about himself and confident in himself, then he's a brilliant player. You know, you only have to look to the end of, of last season where he was kind of a bit part player the entire campaign. And the final, what, 10 games, Pep throws him in in Champions mm, League semifinals yeah. and and, you know, when the, the Premier League title was coming down to the wire and he started all those games and he scored big goals, he had big assists and, and big performances in general. So Arsenal are getting a great player, a player that can still improve and, and, and you know, a real confidence player, but he's going to play more there. And I think that's the best thing for him. It feels as though, doesn't it, and we mentioned this last week, I think it was with Oli, that Arsenal are, are that many tiers below City in terms of sort of challenging for titles and, and challenging for trophies that you can still be you can still be pleased with with the departure and, and you can still wish him well, whereas another player will spend a lot of this podcast, I presume, speaking about. There, there seems to be a little bit more bad blood than than with Jesus. Um, as for the, the other high-profile departures then, Charlie, obviously Fernandinho, his, his exit was known for some time and he had that emotional sort of uh, departure at the end of last season. He's heading back off to Brazil. It looks like Zach Steffen is also going to depart the club as well. Raheem Sterling is isn't confirmed as a Chelsea player yet, but the belief is he will be soon. And Nathan Ake is being mooted as another potential Chelsea sign-in. You spend a lot of your time, a lot of your work life speaking about transfers, so it seems like you're the perfect person to, to sort of take us through this. But in any given season, Charlie, that's some hell of a departures list. And it just seems as though with each week it's growing more and more. Yeah, it's a lot more than we've become accustomed to as City fans, really. Uh, and especially mm. when you talk about high-profile players like Raheem Sterling, it still feels a little bit surreal to me that he is actually going to leave. You know, that deal is uh, pretty much sewn up now. Um, 
you know, rumours that he's not happy with the game time that he got in the season just gone, even though he still made, I think it's uh, over 30 appearances in the league uh, and got into double figures as well. Um, but yeah, you expect the odd departure from City. You don't, we're not really used to a summer like this where so many big players um, are leaving at once. But I guess one of the consolations is City do seem to be getting a good price for the people that they're letting go. You know, Gabriel Jesus, 45 million with a year left on his contract. Um, Sterling, the price is looking like around 47.5 million uh, if he's going to go to Chelsea. Um, and I, I would echo a similar point that you made with Jesus there. Maybe I'm being a little bit too ambitious or optimistic, but, um, you know, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't put Chelsea right up there as title contenders next season. So, okay. even, yeah. even, like, personally, I wouldn't because, uh, you know, so much change has just happened at the club. Change of ownership, Todd Bowley's in now, uh, players like Rudiger, Christensen, they're going through a massive transformation at the moment. Uh, and it's not been a really settled environment. So I think even if Sterling and Ake go to Chelsea and City get a decent price for them, uh, you know, I wouldn't be feeling too horrendously bitter about it. Uh, and I wouldn't say it was necessarily bad business uh, on City's part either. No bitter bits around here then. Um, <laughs> I think you're absolutely spot on with the the money side of it. If you look at what Liverpool managed to, to bring in for someone like Sadio Mane, who... I'm going to say confidently is a, is a better footballer than Gabriel Jesus. I think the jury's probably out in terms of longevity over Raheem Sterling, but right now, certainly, Mane is, for me, above him. And there was a good 15, nearly 20 million in some in some of those cases between the two players in terms of the transfer fees that they recuperated. So it's definitely good business from City. But I just want you to sort of cast your mind back, Adam, to the back end of last season. Did you expect this sort of rebuild to take place this summer? Obviously, the, the campaign before that, there was loads of chat about a whole host of players who were supposedly unhappy in Manchester, but there just wasn't the money in Europe for people to come in and, and purchase them. Nothing materialised there, and it feels as though it's been pushed back a year for some of these players. And I don't know if I thought after that uh, sort of that that dramatic day against Aston Villa, if we'd be sat here in a month's time. Ex- talking about five, six, seven senior players who have had him out the door. Yeah, I think when you look back on previous summers from, you know, 2020 and 2021, I think those those summers are, are enigmas. Um, and that's because of the COVID lockdown. So you've got a lot of players that, you know, these are, a lot of them are teenagers in their early 20s that are away from home. And then you take away your personal life essentially. And, and you have to remember like a lot of these footballers had extra special rules that, that the regular citizens didn't, you know, Mm, restaurants started to open again, pubs started to open again. And, and the players still had to remain in lockdown to, to get the games done. Um, So I think that was a huge contributing factor to the previous summers where there was a laundry list of players that wanted to go you know, you can you can ne- not necessarily be too happy on the the playing side of things, but if you're happy in your personal life, that's that's a huge deal. Um, but when you take away that personal life, then players who aren't necessarily happy on the football side, they're going to be itching to go. This season or this summer, I wouldn't say that I felt like this kind of rebuild was coming, um, but the signs were there when you had you know 
kind of bit part big players like Raheem Sterling, like Gabriel Jesus, who we know are, are world-class talents coming down towards the end of their contract. They're not getting a lot of playing time. We've got a World Cup coming up, you know, especially for Jesus, who um, I think missed a couple of call-ups from the Brazilian national team after being, you know, Brazil's number nine yeah, in the last yeah, World Cup. Um, so, you know, that was, I'm sure was a huge motivation for him was to get regular playing time to get back into the Brazil picture. Um, so it's not a huge surprise. Um, if you fast forwarded a cup to a, a month from now and Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus are still there and they say, you know, I want to, I want to fight for my place in the team, then that wouldn't really be a huge surprise either because, one thing that has always been a constant in football is that winning is a huge band-aid and players that play in winning teams will always be, you know, up for sticking around if they're not necessarily happy um, mm-hmm. because winning covers up a lot of, a lot of, a lot of boo-boos. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, so it's not a huge surprise. Um, but on the other side of the coin, like I said, I wouldn't have been, too surprised if some of these players also decided to stick around and fight for their place in the team. Yeah, another thing as well is not just to look at City's circumstances uh, and the factors around City's situation. If you look at the players individually, players like Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling, I think Sterling's 27 now, you know, heading or basically he's in the prime years of his career, like his absolute prime. And Gabriel Jesus, I think he's around 24, 25 as well. So he's definitely gearing up to that point. Um, and they've just spent the last season as rotation options. If you look at where they're going, mm. Sterling, he becomes, uh, I think he becomes Chelsea's highest paid player, or he's definitely right up there anyway. Uh, and on paper, he definitely becomes one of their best players as well. Um, and Gabriel Jesus, a complete striker shortage at Arsenal, he'll go in as, in as the main guy there as well. So there's definitely some intrigue. Uh, from an individual perspective of what they can achieve when they become the big star um, at the club where they're going next. So I think that's probably paid, um, played a big role in the decision and explains why, you know, maybe it's all happened at the same time this summer as well. Yeah, he's definitely the face of this new look Chelsea side, isn't he? And, and I think you're right there. I think it may even be one of the top three earners in the Premier League in general. It, it, it's silly the amount of money he's looking like he's going to be bringing in, but fair play to him. He, he's had a fantastic career. And I suppose when that news becomes official, Adam and I and, and whoever else is alongside us will will go through that and relive some of his best years. Um, we'll, we'll touch on those senior departures a little bit more later on in the show. But there's also been a lot of movement with the youth team players as well, which I think has sort of made this summer a little bit different to to ones that have gone by. The likes of Gavin Bazunu, CJ Egan Riley, Romeo Lavia and Darko Gabi have all been sold for some considerable profits. Again, we touched on this a little bit last week, but Charlie, if you want to start off with this with this sort of segment then, I don't think I'm being disrespectful to say those sort of players are not at a quality that would make it in City starting eleven right now, but they're the they're good enough to have regular first team minutes in either, I don't know, the Premier League or the championship for some of them. And and it makes sense, doesn't it, to sell these kids whilst they're still 18, 19, 20 for profit. And the the important point here as well is is the buyback clause that seems to be coming a, a really important part of these deals. Yeah, I'm with you. The buyback clause is something quite refreshing. I think it's something maybe a little bit different to the uh, philosophy mm. where you see teams 
hoarding 50, 60 young players and loaning them out. That might have been a bit of an exaggeration, but you know what I mean? A big collection of youngsters getting loaned out. Um, But yeah, I think inserting the buyback clause, it's probably better for the players' mental state, um, better for their career, uh, I would argue. It probably makes them a bit more settled. But I'm also with you in that you've got to be ruthless with these kind of decisions, even though these uh, youth players are highly rated and there is a remote chance that they could break through into the first team. The actual hit rate of breaking into the City first team, given how high the standard is, is still pretty low, really. You know, in recent years, yeah. we've had Foden's managed it. Cole Palmer looks like he's going to manage it. And then you've got James McAtee, who's not there yet, but, you know, a lot of people are expecting him to manage it too. Mm, um, and mm. if you can shift these these kind of fringe players who, if you take them cumulatively, the, the play, some of the youngsters you've just listed off there, and City are looking at, looking at getting around 70 million for all of them this summer, um, mm. you know, if, the, if they leave, it seems like pretty good business. It's ruthless business, but I think it's, you know, part of what the owners envisaged when, you know, they invested in the youth setup like they did. It, I was actually just going to mention some of the, the fees there. So you, you've done my job for me there, Charlie. But Adam, just to sort of go in the individual prices, 12 million for Bazunu, 10 million for Lavia, 5 million or so for Gayabe. That's close to 30 million alone just for what, one, two, three players. And don't forget, some of these lads have, have never played a game for the team, or if they have, it's only been a, a sort of bit part performance in a Carabao Cup game, for example. This seems to be like it, we are definitely watching the CFG and the CFA in action, doesn't it? Absolutely. And this has been sensational business. And, you know, I think there's been a fair amount of people online kind of saying, well, why, you know, why are we selling off all of these prospects that, you know, many of us within the the fan base believe maybe have a future in the first team or or whatever. But, you know, we have to remember that when the Abu Dhabi United group invested piles of cash into the club's youth system. Um, it was not only with the aim of producing players like Phil Foden and Cole Palmer and, and James McAtee, but it was also to make young footballers better and give them careers in the game. And I think that you can say the club have been extremely successful in that. You know, Even if you go and look at players that some fans view as failures of the academy system, like Jaden Sancho, that's a huge cold star for the club, in my opinion, because not only did they produce a mm. world-class footballer, they made profit off of him on multiple occasions, and he looks to be set for a long career at a top level. And there's a ton of Premier League footballers throughout, uh, not only the Premier League, but around Europe that have come out of the City Academy at one point in time. Um, so I think it's kind of a fantasy land to believe that every single player that's producing in the academy is going to do the same thing for the club at the top level. Um, but the the youth system is extremely successful if it's bringing in money, if it's making these kids better and giving them careers, and it's producing players from time to time for the first team. That's, that's all you can ask. And I think it's been extremely successful um, if you, you know, are looking at those factors. Yeah, I made the argument a couple of weeks ago. I, don't, I can't remember if it was on this podcast, if it was elsewhere, if it was just a, a figment of my imagination. But but I sort of I, I see it as being the natural cycle of of 
having a quality academy. And I don't think we'll we'll see this every year where next season, for example, another another highly rated youngster goes for fifteen million pounds to another Premier League team because with the, the sort of the the natural state of academies is you have it almost like a like it is a school. You have this sort of revolving door around players coming in and then they, they do well, they get experience in the Premier League too as the competition is obviously known and then eventually in the case of uh, in the case of City, they're sold for profit and it, we see these names who are linked, for example, Romeo Lavia. And, and I remember, Adam, we spoke on here, one of the first episodes we did, about how he could potentially be a Fernandinho replacement down the line. Obviously, City chose Calvin Phillips in the end, and, and that, that door was shut quite firmly, as Charlie mentioned. Really ruthful, stu- ruthless stuff. Um, we'll leave that alone then, because I think that the, the general consensus is that's what the CFG and CFA are designed to do. They're there to produce players, they're there to send players out for first-team football across Europe and, and the, in, the, in the end, there to, to make profit. Um, we'll move back onto the senior side of things, as promised then, and discuss City's transfer policy as things stand, primarily on those names that are, are, are mooted to leave but not yet confirmed. For some years now, Charlie, City have adopted this approach of sell any player if a club matches their asking price. And we saw it, didn't we, with the likes of Leroy Sane and Ferran Torres, who who left in recent years, both under sort of different circumstances, but both for, for considerable money. And it feels as if it's intensified somewhat this summer. You mentioned a little bit before about the fact that not many teams in Europe had much money. And, and it's still the case now. It seems to be a lot of the, the finances focused and concentrated on the Premier League. Do you think we're just seeing a sort of a, a world and English football sort of finding the status quo again and, and, and sort of figuring itself out. And it's just so happens City have this huge reserve of really good squad players who don't particularly get a lot of time in the first team. Or do you think there's perhaps an underlying issue that City are taking this policy a little bit too far? Um, I don't. I think there's merits to creating a kind of identity in the transfer market. To be honest, you know, if City want to build mm. up this identity where they're not going to stand in a player's way um, if they want to leave, and if City get the right price for them, there's obvious merits to that. Uh, you know, one yeah. being top players are going to be happy to come to City if they know that they, you know, if they've got a bigger dream, even though that's not what the City fans want to hear, but if they've, let's say they've got a bigger dream a few years down the line um, and the club aren't going to stand in their way, more likely to attract uh, top talent. And I think, well, I don't, I don't want to mention the name Erling Haaland in that kind of conversation because hopefully he's going to stay <laughs> for years and years. Um, but, you know, if, you, if, if, uh, if City want to create that kind of identity, there's obvious merits to that um, in that top players are going to want to come. The flip side is... Um, you know, there's going to be some bitter pills to swallow when a, when a player does want to go. You know, I don't like mm. hearing that Bernardo Silva would like to leave for the right price price this summer, um, which is looking like around sixty to seventy million pounds or something like mm. that. But um, it also doesn't look like he's going to kick up a fuss if that bid doesn't come in, which is a good thing. You know, so it kind of goes both ways. As a player, you want the club to kind of honour your wishes if you do want to move on and if they receive a good fee. Um, 
but the club would probably ask of the players in return. If City don't get the right bid, you know, don't kick up a fuss, be professional about it. And I guess with the case of Bernardo Silva, I would guess that's probably what's going to unfold uh, over the next season. I can already see the Real Madrid aggregators online clipping this up and saying <laughs> sports journalist Charlie says that Erling Haaland is is already not happy and he's unsettled at Manchester City and he's, he's gearing for a move <laughs> away. I can just see that happening now. Um, we actually, you are in the majority with that opinion as it goes, Charlie, or at least in the, the City Report listeners majority because we put a poll out on Twitter and a pretty resounding actually 63% said that this was the right approach to take. For me then, Adam, I'm completely, I completely agree. There's no point in having players who don't want to be at the club. And if you can get money back for them, whether or not that's a sort of cut deal in terms of Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus and last year, the contract, or if it's, if it's a a bumper, a bumper deal, like it may be with Bernardo Silva. But the issue for me or or, or a potential issue for me comes when this policy is executed en masse. And it's almost as if no matter what your contract status is, no matter what your your position within the squad is anybody's available for any price. And I fear, I don't know if it's going to happen and it may be me being pessimistic and you can, you can rightly shoot me down here, but I fear as if this could head into, into this summer. If, if for example, Nathan Ake does go and city are once again, looking for another, another replacement, it, it feels a little bit career modey, if that makes sense. It, or, or is that just me sort of being an old grump? No, I, I totally understand that. And look, it's an interesting policy and, and one that you can probably say has been relatively successful when you look at the kind of bigger occasions in which it was applied. For instance, like you mentioned, Leroy Sané, Ferran Torres. I think you could say City were the the quote-unquote winners of those deals for mm, the fees that yeah. they got for players and you know what the players have done since they left and, and how City were able to, to spend the money they got. Um, I think it's also a policy that shows a supreme confidence within the club. And you say that it's a little bit career modey, and sometimes it feels like City might be playing career mode, but they are just, in recent years at least, just so good at recruiting and so mm. good at bringing in players and molding them into you know the club's culture, into Pep Guardiola's system, that they probably have confidence in themselves that there really isn't a player bigger than the club and bigger than than the team. And and they feel like, okay, if you don't want to be a part of this, we will find somebody that will do the exact same job as you. And I think that's something to be applauded. Now, at the same time, like the, the instances that I mentioned, like Sané and Tor- Torres, you know, on those occasions, City had replacements lined up or um, depth to cover for their losses. So I agree with you. I think when the uh, policy is applied on mass, then you can get a little bit messy. And if you do, you know, if your confidence in yourself fails a little bit and, and you don't have great replacements lined up or the replacements that you do have lined up don't, don't work out, um, then, then you have issues. But up to this point, you can't really say that the policy has been unsuccessful. Yeah, I would also add, I was just going to make that point, Adam, about, about, about recruitment. Um, you know, City can afford to kind of take these chances because their track record on recruitment has been so good over the last few years. Um, and I guess it's not very insightful for us to say if we're trying to make a prediction, but that the, the transfer policy of City letting their players go for the right price will be put to the test this summer. 
you know, next season we'll really mm. find out whether it's, um, you know, they might have regrets uh, and things like that. But I would say it's not as straightforward as we're making it out, probably. I think City do have some criteria. It's not as simple as, you know, if the, if we receive the asking price, we're going to let them go. I think there are one or two players who are irreplaceable in the City squad. Yeah, and also... Yeah. Um, it's also like, you know, we're still in the relatively early to mid stages of the transfer window right now. So it's kind of natural that you'd expect them to entertain the idea of letting go of some big players because they've still got time to replace them and you'd yeah. expect them to get, well, they, you know, based off the business they've done so far, they'll have money to replace them too. Uh, and, you know, you would expect City would only let certain players go if there are uh, suitable replacements out there. Don't tell Adam that they're only in the early to mid stage of the transfer window. I think can bust at that news. And people who've listened before will know that Adam Booker has a, a distinct disdain towards the transfer window and, and everything that goes around it. But yeah, you, you spot on and, and a point to make alongside that is the fact that some of these players, some of the names we're mentioning for the for example, Raheem Sterling, the the players whose trajectories have also matched that of City. So if you go back to when Sterling arrived as a as a very, very young boy in 2015, yeah, 2015, 16, he was he was sort of at the world he had the world at his feet but hadn't necessarily achieved much. He'd fallen short in the league title with Liverpool, obviously to City's benefit. But then since then has gone on to win an awful lot. Uh, honestly, if people are still doubting his, his sort of legacy, his impact, go and have a look at his his Wikipedia page and his honours list because he's won so much at City and he's been part of a squad that has really taken City from a good team, a very good team in England and an okay-ish team in Europe to one that's fighting at the top end of every competition every single season. So it does feel as if, if at, at some points we are going into a different stage of the club. Um, heading back to Nathan Ake then, Adam, because I'll come to you for this, because as usual, we asked for some questions online at City Report Pod if you do not follow us already. And we'll we'll start with these two questions from Dylan and Joel, who were basically asking what the next step should Nathan Ake be sold, what what it should be. Um, Dylan asked us, do you think Nathan Ake will actually be sold? And if so, who do you think ends up being his replacement? So what sort of names we can expect to see linked and eventually through the door? And then Joel goes down a different route. Joel asks, if Ake goes, would it be necessarily would it be necessary to replace him in the transfer market or would a youth player like Luke Mbete do that job instead? So Adam, you can take those questions away and, and fire some names across. So do I think Nathan Ake will be sold? I think in the end he won't. Um, okay. I said so the same. That just basically makes this redundant. Whatever you're going to say <laughs> next. I said, but I'll follow it up and say that I said the same thing about Raheem Sterling. So, okay. um, so we'll 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 play this like he is getting sold. Um, I think Ake is going to be very difficult to replace. He's obviously a supremely talented defender, and he has seemed kind of content in developing into a better player and getting the odd game here and there recently especially when you look at the back end of the season in which he, you know, thanks to an injury crisis, it has to be said, but he played big games. He played, I think, mm. both both legs of the Champions League quarterfinal against um, Atletico Madrid. Um, he played some big games in the Premier League as well. Um, City's center back and defensive situation in general is really tough because 
there is a lot of rotation. Um, but when Pep kind of gets comfortable with a pairing, especially at center back, um, he doesn't really tend to go away from it for, for a long time. You know, you look at John Stones and Ruben Diaz absolutely smashed it out the park in the uh, 20, 2021 season. And then John Stones was, you know, a little bit late coming back from um, from the offseason, as many people were because of the short offseason and, and the Euros. And Laporte got a few games ahead of him and, and never looked back. And John Stones never really got back into the team the entire season last year. Um, and obviously Ake falls, you know, fourth on that list. However, he proved his worth and his importance to the team in the back end of the season in which we had some injuries and we, we were able to call on somebody like Ake. Um, so I think it would be risky to sell him and not replace him because if you do have a similar injury crisis, you are looking at a teenager and Luke and Bette, um, to come in and he looks like a very talented, talented player. And he looks like he's going to have a long career out of him, but we haven't seen him play basically any senior football, especially the kind of games that, that Nathan Ake was coming in and at the end of last season. So as far as some of the names being touted, touted to replace him, if he does get sold, we've, got, we've obviously seen Pau Torres links for a while now. Um, it seems like the biggest link is is Yasko Gavardial, the the young center back yeah, at yeah. RB Leipzig. But you know, we we got Nathan Ake, who was a great defender, but we got him from Bournemouth. You know, that that's a huge yeah. step up to City. And I'm not saying that RB Leipzig to City isn't a step up. It definitely is when you look at the um, just the level of players around you, the level of coaching, the level of, of the league. But RB Leipzig is a Champions League club, and, and Gavardi all had 45 appearances last season as a 19- and 20-year-old, whereas Nathan Ake only had 27. So Gavardi all might be looking at this and say, yeah, it's a step up, but I'm getting regular minutes here in the Champions League. I'm competing at the top of the Bundesliga. Um, so that might not be the best move for him. It, it's it's going to be tough to replace Nathan Ake. Yeah, um, I'm going to propose a problem and not a solution because I do think oh that Ake, <laughs> I think Ake is going to go. For me, all point, all signs point towards Ake being sold. Uh, he's already got a personal terms agreement with Chelsea, so he want, I, you know, that would indicate that he wants to go. Mm, yeah. Uh, and, you know, then you're looking at it all kind of comes down to are Chelsea willing to meet his asking price, which is looking like around 45 or 50 million. Um, and for me, I think they will meet that price because he's, he will slot perfectly into the left side of Chelsea's back three. Uh, he's cheaper than a lot of options that have been mentioned with Chelsea, like Gavardiol, who RB Leipzig, supposedly they're going to ask for absolutely tons of money for him. Um and, you know, there's pressure on Thomas Tuchel to bring uh, new defenders in. They still haven't replaced Rudiger. He's got massive shoes to fill. Same with Christensen as well. Um, so I do think Ake is going to go. The problem then turns towards who comes in as his replacement. And it's one of the biggest conundrums that City could face this summer, really, because you're, you're going after a centre-back that most likely is going to come in as fourth choice. So if you want to, you know, it's it's tricky business trying to convince a top centre-back like Gavardial or pa Pau Torres, both linked with top clubs around Europe, that, you know, it's worth their while or it's going to benefit their career if they come in as fourth choice. Um, so that would kind of point towards 
Um, you know, some merits of giving Luke and Bete a chance. Uh, chances mm. are he will only play around 20 games uh, in all competitions over the course of the season if he's uh, fourth choice. Um, but like Adam says, we've not seen him play a whole lot of senior football. It would be a big risk, especially if we're a team that wants to be taking giant steps forward uh, and succeeding where we probably, you know, in areas where we haven't succeeded in the past. So, yeah, it is a little bit of a dilemma and I, I wish I could give you a, a better solution to it. Yeah, it, it does. I don't know if blindsided is the right word, but it does feel as though City have been caught out by this because obviously, fast forward to the start of the summer, Newcastle were chasing Nathan Ake as their sort of their premier defensive uh, signing. And he said no, essentially, or, or, or City said, right, okay, pay the money. Nathan Ake came out publicly and said, no, I'm happy at City. Newcastle ran, went, okay, then see you later. It's different with Chelsea, isn't it? Because Chelsea are a Champions League club. They're not going to challenge for the Premier League for my money, but they're definitely not far away um, in in maybe one, two, three seasons, potentially. Um, And and obviously, the names that we've mentioned there, the the problem is, does... Does do we not have this same problem in a year's time or two years' time where someone like Gavardiol comes in or Paul Torres comes in and then they go, no, actually, I'm not playing the same amount. And and as Adam mentions, they're established footballers themselves, aren't they? So just to throw it back to you then, Charlie, and, and give you a bit of a another impossible question to ask, hmm. the, de- the debate really seems to focus around the fact that whether you're not, it's think, you think it's right for City to stand in the way of a fourth-choice defender in Nathan Ake, who, as we've mentioned, is probably going to play less than 30 games per season. And I, and I say fourth-choice in inverted commas because uh, he did play a lot of important games when needed, but it, the asterisk is that it was down to injuries. And, and, you know, do they ex- exercise their contractual powers? He's under contract for a number of years and say, no, knuckle down and get on with the job. Or do you sort of try and avoid the potential trouble you could get in the dressing room? Now, none of us know Nathan Ake personally. He doesn't strike you as the sort of player who's going to sort of cause unrest. But, you know, you never know these professional footballers. All of them have egos. Yeah, to be honest, I can't see City standing in Nathan Ake's way because like you mentioned, there is a little bit of an ethical dilemma that comes into it. Um, You almost think maybe Nathan Ake would be within his rights to be a little bit annoyed if City stand in his way because uh, it looks like what Chelsea are offering him is most likely a starting role in their back Mm, three. Um, Whereas City most likely, even though he performed really well um, last season, He's still, I'm not sure he's done enough to really propel himself up the pecking order. He's still probably fourth choice, even though he's a brilliant fourth choice to have. Um, so you would, you've got to look at the individual circumstances, but in this one in particular, um, and it, it contrasts with, with the Bernardo Silva one because he's still an absolutely key player uh, and it's unlikely that they're going to get the asking price that they want. But with Nathan Ake, if they get a decent fee for him, um, you know, I can't see them standing in his way because, like you say, that given the circumstances, problems could arise out of that situation. I guess it leads us full circle then and back to the original point, Adam, where we're asking ourselves, at what point do you draw the line on this policy of, of sell you know, 90% of the players in the squad, as Charlie mentioned before, there are a few untouchables. If Barcelona came with 100 million for Kevin De Bruyne, then I don't think they'd get past the big Asda at the Etihad Stadium before being <laughs> laughed away. Um, but for most of the players within the squad, this this sort of this approach, this policy, when you sign on the contract at City and, and, and the promises made, 
if at any point you want to leave the club and if at any point somebody comes in with the right offer, off you go, if that's your choice. And when when we mentioned there the fact that this is probably of the of the signings and of the departures we spoke about today, Raheem Sterling, Gabriel Jesus, Fernandinho, this would be the least expected because of that sort of public admiration and this public stance that he came out with just a couple of weeks ago. And it's not to sort of say that Nathan Ake is wrong to do this, but you do feel as if with, what, is it three years, four years left in his contract, would he be in that much harm to, to say for, for City to say, right, no, stop there, you're not going unless they pay, I don't know, £55 million above his valuation? Or, as, as sort of Charlie touched on there, that toxic atmosphere inside the dressing room can, can be a problem, can't it, at times? It could. Um, I can't remember the last time it got toxic with a player at City, um, mm. especially not in the Pep Guardiola era. You know, you obviously think back to, to Carlos Tevez and, and situations like that. Um, but I think one thing that City are really good at, and this is something we've spoken about at length on, on this podcast, is the type of human beings that they bring into the club. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, you look at Bernardo Silva, he's, by all reports, been asking to leave for years now. And no one stumped up the cash for him. And City have said, you know, you've got to stay and honor your contract because we're not getting the right kind of offers. And and look at the performances and the emotion that we still get out of Bernardo Silva. You know, early last season, he was being heavily linked with a move to Spain and all the reports that where he wanted to go. I mean, I think even Pep Guardiola came out in a press conference and said by name, Bernardo Silva wants to leave. And mm. two weeks later, he he scored a winning goal at Leicester and ran over to the the away end, pounding the badge on his chest. You know, so these are these situations haven't panned out in a toxic way up to this point. I mean, obviously, you'd fear that it could, um, but you know, from everything that we seem to know about Nathan Ake so far. Um, he doesn't strike me as the kind of player that if if Chelsea doesn't you know pay up the cash that City are asking for that he would be you know pouting, not showing up to training, not giving his all, um, because that's just doing a disservice to himself and his career as well. So yes, there's the fear. I don't really see that happening with any of the players in the squad right now. Um, but you know, you asked earlier, where do you draw the line with the policy? I don't think this is the kind of thing that when, when a player is signing their city contract that Cheeky Brigerstein is whispering in their ear, <laughs> if anyone brings me $65 million, you can go wherever you'd like. You know, the, this, this only comes up when the player starts to feel like they want to leave or you know, they bring up to the club that they want to leave. So I think the line gets drawn kind of on the go with this policy. But like we've said, to kind of wrap up the, the whole conversation on this topic, so far it's worked for City. Yeah, he, I can I can I can't see him doing that whispering in the air as terrifying as that would be. But you know what I mean. It, there's that sort of mutual agreement that you know you sign in a six year deal. There's the option to leave if needed. How that's communicated, I'm I'm not too sure. Um, just a few more interactions we've had because there's been loads of questions and really really thankful for those at City Report Pod as usual to to send us in your questions. Um, I say question. It's it's more of a statement. It comes from Arman. He says, when your third slash fourth player in a position is not happy with his minutes and does not have a lot of suitors, what else can you do? They will improve a rival for sure, but Chelsea have other players on their radar and would strengthen anyway. And I think that's maybe a nice way to stop that segment because it, it does feel as if 
there is a sort of not necessarily a lose lose situation, but there is a there is a situation that City have to deal with, and, and I guess this is what the players and the and the people behind the scenes are paid big bucks to to resolve. Um, we'll lead on to the final topic for today then, and a couple more questions to finish off with. We did say this was an outgoing special, but as usual, all rows do lead to talk about incomings as well. We've had this question then, Charlie, and you can take it to sort of start off the wrapping up side of today's podcast and it comes from Law Lass who asks us how worried should we be about the depth within the squad not in terms of tactical flexibility or positions but but more just the pure numbers it felt like in 2021-22 so the season just gone and the squad size hasn't got bigger yet We've got let a, t- a lot of top-rated youngsters go, so there's not the option to squeeze them in anymore. It's uh, it's a pretty hefty question. There's a lot to dissect, but I do feel like it's a concern that, given the facts, and I can't believe we're saying this, but we're having a mid-season World Cup, it could be one that we start to worry about in the in the winter, in the early early spring months. Yeah, it's kind of you're relying on a little bit of luck if you're going into a season short on numbers. We've seen uh, injury crises unfold and it can, it can derail an entire season. You know, we saw what happened at Liverpool in 2020 slash 21, where they just had no centre-backs for the entire season. So it's not something you can ignore. Uh, in terms of pure numbers, clearly, I think most people agree that City are kind of low on numbers at the moment. And I know the question said not in terms of tactical flexibility, but I think that can't really be ignored um, so it's kind of puts an asterisk next to the number of the overall players in City squad at the moment because, you know, if an injury crisis unfolds in uh, midfield or on the wing, you've got the likes of Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, uh, Cole Palmer and Bernardo Silva. They could fill in in either position, you know, attacking midfield or on the left or on the right. Um, so that definitely helps in terms of overall numbers. But I would be slightly concerned that there's not enough numbers in the squad at present. But I'll be surprised if, especially if Sterling and Nathan Ake Ake go, which I do expect to happen, uh, I would be surprised if City don't add um, one or two new faces between now and the end of the summer. See, I'm going to kind of hit back here because I don't necessarily agree with the kind of general feeling around City's lack of numbers. Um, You know, when you look at Purely the numbers from last season City had by the end of the season after Ferran Torres left the club, they had 17 outfield players. Now, when you look at the outgoings this year, um, so far it's Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus are the confirmed outgoings from the senior squad. Um, but two players have come in to replace them in, in Julian Alvarez and Erling Holland. Um, there is the talk of Mark Kukurea coming in, which would add to the numbers. Calvin Phillips came in to replace the um, departing Fernandinho. So for right now, the numbers have stayed the same from last season. So we haven't um, all of a sudden spiraled into a depth crisis. On top of that, we do have to consider the youngsters that are going to get more playing time because more playing time for more players means that your numbers are being upgraded. Cole Palmer and James McAtee, from what it sounds like from Pep Guardiola, are both going to get upgraded roles this season. Um 
And on top of that, like Charlie mentioned, we do have the tactical flexibility. Um, if Mark Kukurea comes in, that's another body, and you have even more tactical flexibility. Um, so I don't necessarily see this depth crisis. Um, if you believe there is a depth crisis this year, then you must have believed there was a depth crisis last year, which I don't think a lot of people did. I mean, we were a little bit short on numbers at the back end of the season, but that was due to in large injury crisis, you know, three center backs going down in one week. That's not usual. Um, so I'm not, I, and I took a lot of stick for this on Twitter this, this past week Shut saying up. that, um, that it only takes <laughs> simple first grade math to realize that city have not lost any numbers. Um, they numbers have stayed the same. And if some of the signings that we are hearing about go through, then their numbers will get even, even bigger. So, um, yeah, the tactical flexibility along with the fact that every single player that is leaving the club has been replaced, then there can't be a depth crisis. Except I, I think this this comment, this question does come from the fact that at the back end of last season, how stretched City were. And usually I would agree and I'd subscribe to the argument that it's an anomaly like we saw with Liverpool two seasons ago, like we saw for City at the back end of last year. But it's that World Cup that I think is is causing the headaches and causing the problems. We seem to be living actually in the era of these sort of these squad sheet graphics going across Twitter. And I think you actually you actually put one up, Adam. I, I have no idea actually how to how to make one, so I might need to ask for some tips. But when you look at on paper, City's depth doesn't look weak it doesn't look like City are, are that stretched but when you consider for example say Nathan Ake does leave whether or not there's a replacement that comes in on the transfer market or, or whether or not it's a youth team player the likelihood is at least three of City starting centre-halves are going to start for their countries at the World Cup and that could be an issue come January, come February, come March, when you sort of return to this era of, uh, sorry, you return to the space of competing for club trophies as well. You just don't know how taxing it's going to be. So do, do you still think, Adam, that given with, with that in mind, with that mid-season World Cup year upon us, whether or not City could do with maybe adding one or two just just for sort of, just for insurance sakes more than anything? Yeah, I just want to clarify that I don't um, feel that City don't need to add more pieces to this squad. I was, I am just simply pointing out that um, people are freaking out about the numbers of the squad now that Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus are leaving the club. But in reality, the numbers of the squad are the exact same. But yeah. I am one of the peop- one of the many people who last year thought that the numbers were already too low. Um, yeah. We had, I believe, out of the big six, the lowest. Um, you know, number of senior players in, in the squad. I think, you know, Chelsea had like something like 23. We had 17 last season. Um, so, yeah, I think there are certainly some some areas that could be strengthened with numbers. I think probably when you look at the two number eight positions, and yes, you can say, um, you know, Jack Grealish can slot in there, Phil Foden can slot in there, James McAtee down the line, if he, you know, comes on in his development, he can slot in there. But then you're taking away numbers from other places on the pitch. So if you're saying, you know, Bernardo Silva and Kevin De Bruyne maybe um, come back slowly from the World Cup. Um, is Bernardo Silva going to the World Cup? Yeah, he will be. Okay. There, I just lost interest in all of the World <laughs> Cup playoffs and stuff. So um, <laughs> then, 
you can say, oh, Jack Grealish can play in there, Phil Foden can play in there, and then you're left with no numbers on the wing. So yes, I do believe that City need to strengthen in numbers, but that is an extremely difficult thing for City to do because they want to be competing on multiple fronts. So the level of players that you have to bring in is really high, but you're telling them, oh, you're behind Jack Grealish, Phil Foden, Riyad Mahrez, Julian Alvarez, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo. It's really hard to do. So um, I don't think the numbers will be strengthened, um, but it would be nice if they were. Yeah, I think um, adding to what I've said previously, I think the numbers will only be a concern if City don't replace the players that are you know, likely to leave uh, between now and the end of the summer. Because I think it's a bit of a psychological thing, and I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure there's other City fans that are doing this too. You get City's squad up in front of you and... You know, you're looking at it and you're you're saying, right, Raheem Sterling's going, Nathan Ake's going, Zinchenko's been linked with other clubs, Zach Steffen's off, Jesus has gone, and then you're kind of getting rid of these players and then in your mind, it's left with quite a bare-bones squad after that. Um, but obviously, we've got Alvarez and Haaland have come in. City are linked with, um, you know, replacements for a lot of the players that are uh, rumoured to be leaving the club. The only one that's a little bit on the fence is Raheem Sterling. I, I think it's not completely clear whether City are going to go out and sign another winger. But uh, mm. I think Adam raised a good point earlier on where, you know, young players getting more responsibility. Um, that's basically, it can have a similar impact to, you know, having an additional squad member or, you know, because it's someone that's going to take on more responsibility and see a lot more action. Uh, and I'm hopeful that Cole Palmer is going to be that player for City this season. I hope we're going to see a lot of him. Um, but yeah, I think as long as City round off the summer, having not you know depleted their squad in terms of numbers, i.e., they go out and sign replacements um, when players go, I think you know there's not too much to worry about. And I think that sounds like a very good place to call it a day. Um... Technical difficulties meant this was recorded in in about fourteen different parts. So hopefully, the Adam, the magic editor, can get it sorted and, and can get it sounding good. But that was, for what it's worth, a really really fun discussion. So Charlie, absolute legend! Thank you very much for making your debut. We're all at the City Report podcast. We're all about giving the youth team minutes in preseason, and, <laughs> and I think you've uh, you've staked your claim very well. Yeah, no, I'll be I'll be in your ear when we're when we're on the touchline to give you more minutes further down the line. But yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, boys. Yeah, you may be saying that you want to move elsewhere if the price is right. Um, <laughs> Adam, you're you're not getting more minutes. You're stuck with me as usual. But yeah, that was super fun. Really enjoyed that. I don't know about you. It was good. Yeah, I'm, I am slowly starting to take interest in football again, and uh, I would say that. These podcasts have helped. Uh, it's been mentioned many times on here that I cannot stand the summer window. <laughs> I'm ready for it to be over and uh, mm-hmm. ready for some football to be played. And thankfully, we're only a few weeks away from it. Yeah, get in there, get in there. It's it's ever closer. Thirtieth uh, of July, Community Shield first get, first competitive game back. Obviously, there's a preseason tour in the US before that, but we've got plenty of stuff coming over the next few weeks. So make sure you do subscribe, follow, etc., and leave a rating and a review if you are new around here. I've been Amos Murphy. I've been joined by Charlie Gordon and Adam Booker for today's show. You can find their socials in the description below along with mine as well. And of course, hit follow on at City Report Pod on Twitter if you're not already. Until next time, 
see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply, see mcdonalds.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.